Welcome back to Innovation Big and Small. Hi there, Jim. Hi, how are you, Squirrel? I'm doing okay. Pretty tired. It's been a long week, but I'm excited to talk about intellectual property. Good, me too. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, uh, topic is one that really doesn't come up in startups very much, but it came up this past week. And when you mentioned it to me, I thought, oh, that's one we should talk about. Because uh, I have a client who hired a lot of outsourced developers. And um, I was actually on the receiving side of some due diligence, which is not very common for me. Normally, I'm asking the questions. And these uh, uh, investors were asking me as a representative of the client, do you really own all the stuff that these folks worked on? And I do find that startups are careful about that kind of intellectual property. They do tend to try to get their contracts right, and they're careful that um, the software they've built, in some cases, some of my clients have hardware, and they'll outsource that, and they'll make sure that they own the, the um, uh, intellectual rights to whatever the hardware is. They're good at that. Um, they're just not as careful about um, creating patents for things they've invented or um, uh, trademarking their names and so on. That just doesn't seem to be as big a deal. I'm not sure if that's Europe versus America or if that's uh, small versus big. What, what's your experience, Jim? Uh, I think it also has to do with industry and uh, mm. and what are the bases of competition in the industry. Very good they, point. Uh, you know, in some places, speed is just much more important. And if you hold yourself back by waiting for patents to clear, it can be to your disadvantage. Yep. And uh, so actually, there's a paper I can refer people to in the show notes. Uh, by Paul Germrod that compared, uh, I think, eight industries and the uh, and which ones really benefited heavily from intellectual property. Uh, uh, right. So I think it does depend on the industry and it depends on the stage of your development and how fast things are moving and so forth. Got it. So, uh, yeah, and I, now that I think about it a bit more, I have some biotech um, genomics, especially companies um, that I've worked with in San Francisco and in Cambridge, and they are much more careful about that. That's right, because, um, you know, if they discover an amazing new drug that cures the Martian flu, um, they're, they're going to be very excited about that. And um, you, you do want to own that. You don't want it to be automatically generic because you're making a Absolutely. huge investment in it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it may be that the industries I'm often in, which are things like e-commerce and property tech and things like that, speed is much more important for them. And also the ability in those industries to uh, find alternative, uh, alternative solutions. If someone patents something in software, it's often easy to find maybe a not as good, but alternative path that doesn't violate the patent. So those are all considerations, I think. There, there are lots of examples of people doing clean room re-implementations where they make sure they don't have the source code anywhere near them and they go and build a thing that does whatever the, the other piece of software is supposed to and then get into a legal fight about whether you did it right. But um, assuming you didn't actually steal any of the source code, you're safe. Whereas yeah. if, uh, if you build a, a new type of car and, and I build exactly the same car, it's pretty obvious that I copied you and, and I can't use it. Got it. Makes sense. There aren't so many different ways to do it with physical products. How about in big companies? So, so how do big companies think about intellectual property? I think of them as having, you know, huge vaults of uh, of patents and and um, tons of uh, solicitors uh, standing out front guarding them uh, and and ready to take you to court. Is that how it is? Well, it depends on, again on the company. Um, but two of the companies that I've worked with have been uh, fairly aggressive uh, about patents. So I worked for a while with Pitney Bowes, and one of the first things I noticed when I uh, when I was working there after being there a few weeks is how often someone would talk about an idea and then immediately say, "Have you filed 
on that yet. Mm -hmm. He filed the IP on that. And, uh, and so it was very important. It was important partly because the company invented the postage meter business and had a very dominant position. And so every time something happened that might make alternate ways of, uh, of fulfilling that need uh, possible, they would want to be on the leading edge of it, would patent aggressively around it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that maybe reinforced that tendency in them was at, uh, at one point while I was working there, there was a huge settlement with uh, Hewlett Packard, uh, a $400 plus million settlement related to patent infringement uh, for, in Pitney Bowes' favor. So uh, that reinforced. It was also true uh, at Goodyear that people were very concerned about it, but the, the nature of the patents there, a lot of the patents were design patents, what they call, where they're making sure that the specific, you know, tread pattern or, uh, you know, or look of the, of the tire wasn't replicated by someone else. But mm -hmm. they also would, were pretty uh, assiduous to make sure that if there was some new invention in R&D, that uh, it was fully covered. So, yeah, the the companies I've worked in have been concerned about that, protecting their position in the marketplace primarily. And, and I can see why they do that because um, they've got the resources, and if it if it could either gain you four hundred million or save you four hundred million, that makes a lot of sense. Whereas for a startup, you're you're not playing in that league at all. You're you're not thinking about um you know if you could get the attention if you could get sued by somebody for your patents you'd be happy, you'd be really yeah. excited that someone had paid enough attention to you to actually yeah. sue you for violating their patent and maybe you could get them to buy you instead because that's probably less expensive. Um, so yeah, it just doesn't seem to be less of a immediate issue for for startups. It's and it's not cheap, right? So mm -hmm. if you a patent can you know easily be fifteen or twenty thousand dollars and maybe more. If you want to cover globally, it's uh, it's big. So you have to decide where you know it's really worthwhile and where it's not. My understanding, and maybe you can answer this, is that when investors are looking at a company, they often are concerned about someone just replicating what they have, mm -hmm. and so they're uh, asking questions about: Do you have? intellectual property? Is there something that protects your core capability? Have you found that as well? I have, but much more frequently not the legal protection for the reason you described that, that you know, it's in software, especially it's, it's fairly easy to do a thing that does almost the same and is close enough and is, is clean and isn't a copy of, of what yours is. It's not like copying a, a, a postage meter that has a new weighting system or a, a, um, a, a new scale inside it that you can kind of point to and say, I know what that is. But what they do care an awful lot about is moats, M-O-A-T, um, like uh, around castles. So they yeah. want to know, why would it be hard for somebody else to do what you've done? And one of the, the best things you can have is, um, I'll put a link in the show notes. I stole this idea from uh, Joel Spolsky, a, a blogger about software from the early 2000s. And uh, uh, he, he talked about schlep businesses. Schlep is a Yiddish word, S-C-H-L-E-P. And um, the, the classic example of a schlep uh, doing something that's kind of messy and ugly and annoying and you just have to kind of do it and, um, and it's painful and nobody else wants to. A classic example of that business is WhatsApp because uh, one of the ways they rose to dominance is by supporting a whole bunch of those old flip phones. You remember those old phones, Jim, where you, you 
had to flip it open and you know there there was some kind of weird idea of apps on them but it was uh, wap or something it wasn't like you went to the app store and just downloaded a thing you had to do all kinds of fancy stuff they figured out how to be dominant on those phones and to have apps and to have weird things that would work and strange workarounds for them because they were dominant in the emerging world at that time so in the third third world and in, in countries that weren't as as wealthy and didn't uh, you know hadn't um uh, the iPhone hadn't made it there. The iPhone hadn't got cheap enough to, to be there. Android phones were also too expensive. These folks had the old phones. And those were also people who really wanted to use WhatsApp. They really wanted to communicate in a secure way and with their friends and so on and have something that worked better. So uh, WhatsApp invested um, it, the schlep time. They did this horrible, ugly thing that no one else would ever want to do. And the result was that um, uh, they, they had a big moat because somebody else would have to replicate all that work. Uh, it wouldn't matter even if you could go and look at WhatsApp and, and figure out what it did. Replicating it would actually be a physically difficult process. So it's almost oh, as if very you, know, you had to, yeah. to make your postage yeah. meter out of cheese or something. And you know, it would be really, really annoying to, to, to create it. Um, that would be uh, uh, then then a moat for your, your cheese postage meter. because Not because it was... Um, uh, protected by law, not because you had a patent on it, but because uh, you know nobody wants to work in cheese and you know steel and, and, and wood and things. Those are easier. Uh, uh, so that tends to be what investors are most interested. In. What are the barriers to entry for somebody else? Why could somebody else not replicate what you're doing, what service you're providing, what software you're you're uh, building? But the legal protections, you know, it would grind in the, on in the courts much longer than um, uh, than the startup could survive, most likely. So uh, really suing someone to enforce your patent is um, a losing game. You don't want to do that. That's interesting. It, it, I, it strikes me as we're talking also that one of the one of the issues for larger companies is that they might invent and even patent uh, these forward looking concepts, but then not exploit them. Mm -hmm. uh, Pitney Bowes, when I was there, also got into the internet postage business. Mm -hmm. Pitney Bowes had invented it, mm -hmm. but we went to market after two startup competitors went into the market. Mm. Yep. You had the patents and such, but, but, they, they, but they went ahead anyway. They went ahead anyway. And, you know, in fact, you know, you, there were regulatory reasons why uh, you couldn't just use your patents to stop competition in the market, and so it's kind of an interesting thing. It was it was a, it was good to have them. Certainly critical for us to be able to get into that market at the time, but it didn't provide the same degree of protection that it might have if we had also been a startup, and it didn't provide the advantage that we might have gotten if we had ourselves uh, been more aggressive. Uh, about jumping into the market earlier. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with sort of these out of the box, you know, there are two kinds. There are the kinds that are just extending your, you know, protecting your core. And then the, the ones that help you move into new spaces. It seems to be, you know, kind of uh, congenitally hard for larger companies to make those big bets for the, uh, even if they're the inventor of the, of the technology. Got it. Well, that's something we've talked about many times before, and you know, your listeners can go back to some of our earlier podcasts talking about the the huge difference between the the appetite for risk at a large company and a small one. And a startup would just say, "Oh, we're violating a patent. That sounds fun. Let's do it." Whereas a big company would say, "Oh, we're not sure about that. We have to consider it. Um, maybe we maybe we won't. Uh, we'll we'll wait to see what happens in the market." Yeah, we certainly always studied 
clearance before we ever put anything in the market. Mm -hmm. We would do a patent search. We would see if there was something there. If there was, we'd try to see what our options were, including licensing the technology. Sure. And I, I think that startups are not, what they don't know won't hurt them, I guess, is part of it. Now, they may that may come back and haunt you, mm -hmm. but it may be that you just move quickly enough that it doesn't. So that speed dynamic is probably a big factor. It certainly would make sense that it would be. Cool. Thanks, Jim, as always. Uh, fun to talk about these topics. And if listeners are struggling with patents themselves, wondering, you know, I'm here in my startup, should I should I patent things? Uh, answer for me, probably no. But uh, <laughs> if you're in a large company and you have a bank of patents, uh, what are you doing with them? Uh, we'd be interested to hear from you. You can find us by looking in the show notes, looking online for Douglas Squirrel and, and Jim Leuchner, uh, lots of other ways. So uh, we're very happy to hear from you on uh, Twitter, email, or, or whatever your favorite uh, communication is. We're even on WhatsApp, I bet. So uh, if you want to find us on on your schlep phone go ahead and do that and of course we also like it when you come back and see us we're coming out pretty regularly now on mondays and uh, we're coming up on a year you know it won't be too long before uh, we, we have a uh, have to celebrate our year anniversary jim so um, uh, we'd like it if the listeners uh, hit the subscribe button you can be here for the the one year anniversary and hear us every week on innovation big and small thanks jim thank you squirrel <laughs>